Amen. My, my, thank the Lord tonight. I was blindsided today at the, at the daytime service. I've been around Brother Mark Humble for a long time and know him as a great musician and a wonderful personality, always a joy to be around, but I'm telling you, he's a sure enough preacher. Brother, I'm telling you, he ministered the Word of God to my heart today in a way that was so fresh. I expected, I knew Brother Jim, I know how Brother Jim preaches, Brother Jim Moss. I knew I was going to get blessed, and I did. And I heard so much about Dr. Scott, I was looking forward to hearing him, and I was deeply, richly blessed by his ministry last night. But Brother Mark, I'd never heard Brother Mark preach before today. I get intimidated around these guys with such great personalities. And of course, all of us know Brother Herb, who's about to come in a moment. I get intimidated. I'm one of those guys with all the personality of cardboard. I have my uses. I know I have my uses, but nobody's going to give it as a gift. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got a poster from a conference that I was going to be preaching. I preach in it every year for several years now in northeast Texas, and there's three of us that always are there, a preacher from an evangelist from Oklahoma City and one from Jackson, Mississippi, and myself. And this year, when they sent out the, the brochure, they listed us under the heading Conference Personalities. And when my wife saw that, she said, oh, no, are they expecting you to have a personality? <laughs> That's about the truth of it. But I do have a message on my heart tonight. I'd like for you to follow me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. Thank God for this great singing. What a precious privilege to sit under good gospel music like that. Hallelujah. Love the wisdoms. Love your, your, ministry, your ministry music here in the church as well. It's all just a tremendous blessing to me. Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read the last few verses of the chapter beginning in verse 27. Some familiar passage to most of you who know anything about your Bible. Most of what we know about hell comes out of this section. The Lord Jesus pulled back the curtain, the veil of mortality, and gave us a look at what awaits a certain segment of humanity on the other side of death. Those who die without a saving relationship with him. It's an awful thing. It ought to make every one of us tremble to think that such a thing is there, such a place as hell. But I want you to notice a specific thing in chapter 16, beginning in verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, this is the man in hell speaking, you recognize that, I'm sure. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. The him referenced here is the man who was saved and died and wound up in glory because of the grace of God, Lazarus. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, this is what struck me out of this familiar passage. Two proposals are found in this section of the text on how to effectively minister the gospel and win men to salvation. 
One proposal came from hell. One came from heaven. The disturbing thing to me is that most of the modern religious world, the church world, of my generation, most of it comes down on the side of the suggestion from hell and disdains the one that comes from heaven. A great many professing Christians would readily second the motion that the man in hell made. We need something more. We need some more dramatic, sensational ways, something better than just reading and preaching the Bible, surely to convince men that they need to come to Christ and be saved. Moses and the prophets, of course, is a phrase that speaks of the written Word of God. What came from heaven was, they have the Bible. Let them hear what the Bible has to say. And that's what he was, when he said, let them hear them, he was speaking of just what's happening right now. He was speaking of reading a passage from the Word of God and taking time and putting mental energy into studying what the Bible says, what's content, contained in the written revelation of the Lord. But surely, surely more could be done to convince men. Doesn't the Lord care about souls? I mean, doesn't he... Doesn't he want to do more to reach the lost than just preach and read the Bible? Now, we're constantly bombarded by the religious think tanks of our day who tell us that we've got to revolutionize the way church is done to effectively reach men in our generation. But what does God think about it? Well, here's a very straightforward passage. I want to share just a few thoughts with you tonight in my portion of this service out of this straightforward passage concerning the mind of Christ on how men are won to salvation. What persuades men really to be savingly converted? Three things stand out to my heart out of this text. First of all, the priority of Scripture stands out to me. The priority. Now this has to do with methodology. Here's what this text teaches. There is nothing as important to the, to the Lord of glory there is nothing as important than the, more important than the presentation of Scripture to men who need to repent and be saved. Nothing is more, in terms of God's will for how to do church, in terms of God's will for how ministry is to be done and the persuading of souls to salvation, the priority in the heart of God is the hearing of the Word of the Lord. Now the Bible says, in the book of 2 Timothy, that a time is coming, there's a prophecy that I believe we're seeing the fulfillment of today. A time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. But they will heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears. They will turn away their ears from the truth and they will be turned unto fables. Now I think we're seeing that fulfilled, at least in part today. Would you agree with that? Men are turning away their ears from the sober truth of the Word of God. As Dr. Scott said last night, they want to be entertained. They want some little doohickey, some little uh, fluff stuff in the pulpit. We see that happening all around. Well, what do we do in such an hour as this? When men are not enduring sound, the Bible specifically says the time's going to come. So how do we... How do we, uh, you know, brainstorm and figure out what to do in such an hour? Is it, what does the Bible say? Preach the Word. Well, they don't want the Word. Big deal. Who cares? Preach the Word. It's what God wants done in church. It matters not what you want done. I don't care to have a survey and find out what you want done in church. What's God want done in church? 
He said, let them hear them. They have Moses and they have my word. They have the Bible. They have the written scripture. Now the argument is frequently made that the reason preaching was such a priority in the generations before ours that, is that they didn't have the technological capabilities we have in the modern world. They didn't have PowerPoint and multimedia options to present the gospel in a more sensational and dramatic way that would appeal to men on a more exciting, visually exciting and emotionally moving level. The argument is if Paul had had the means to do so, he certainly would have replaced the simple reading and preaching of the Bible with Super Bowl extravaganzas. He certainly would have replaced just preaching with Christian movies and novels and stand-up comedy routines and celebrity performances, anything to draw a crowd and get some decisions. And to all of that, I point back to this text. Every time I hear someone speaking in that manner, my mind goes back to the passage before me. Here is the argument that if a dead man came back to life and brought, brought testimony to what lies on the other side of the grave, surely that would be more effective than just Moses and the prophets. But God's response is a flat refusal. The religious world may not like this truth in my generation, but it's still the truth. The Lord is determined that those who repent and get saved do so in response to the hearing of his written word. In Psalm 138 and verse 2, the Bible says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and give thanks unto thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He is determined that men honor his word and respond appropriately to it. And so we have statements like the famous one in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. After in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And under the Greeks, that fo that's foolishness. But we're not trying to accommodate those who think like that. We're not trying to accommodate that. But unto them which are called. That's the crowd I'm interested in. To them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So many things would seem to the natural mind and to the carnal Christian even. So many things would seem to be such a better idea than to prioritize just reading and preaching the Word of God. Let's put more emphasis on music. Let's hire professional bands to really whip up some excitement and emotional ecstasy. I was preaching in the Carolinas, and the pastor I was with was telling me about the church in his area that was the cutting edge, the real cutting edge growth church in the area, blew up into the thousands. They hired a professional band, most of whom weren't even believers in Jesus, and they began to poll people to find out the first 15 minutes of the song service was secular music. They let people put in requests for their favorite song, secular songs for the first quarter of an hour before they began to sing sacred music and then transition into a gospel presentation. Let's do some, that, that'll get some folk in. I mean, that's out of the box, right? Let's get out of the box. Let's use more drama. Let's show more movies. Let's have more plays. Let's tell more stories that move people emotionally and get the tears flowing. That's bound to make it easier for folk to get saved. 
Let's involve more psychology. Read up on the latest research concerning what moves people to make commitments and then let's craft our services to make our appeal more culturally hip, more psychologically comfortable. In the midst of all this nonsense that's going on today, I hear the rich man in hell chiming in. Amen, that's a good idea. But I'll tell you what's better. Send Lazarus back from the dead, I'm telling you. We would surely get some folks saved. And then comes the response of the high king of heaven. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The priority of Scripture. Second thing I see in this text is the pertinence of Scripture. The pertinence of Scripture. Now this has to do with philosophy. According to the Lord Jesus, nothing is as relevant to the human condition as the written Word of God. Well, I'm telling you, when these men had preached to me in this conference so far, every one of them, nobody had to explain to me how relevant the Word of God is. Brother, the Word of God pierced my heart when I heard it preached. So we sat around those tables today at noon, the Word of God pierced my heart. No one had to convince me the Bible was relevant, brother. It made itself relevant in my life. Relevance is one of the Christian buzzwords. You know, a few years ago, it really was a big buzzword. It, it continues to be a recurring theme in the cutting-edge church growth literature and conferences. How can we show the lost that Christ and Christianity is relevant to them and to the postmodern world? How are we going to convince the postmodern and now the post-postmodern world, that the gospel is relevant. All kinds of things are suggested to make the gospel appear more relevant, many of which I've mentioned already. Have you ever heard someone say, or maybe even thought yourself at an unguarded moment, if we could just get some of the culture's elite to, to identify themselves as Christians, how far that would go to reach the lost? Couldn't we really, listen tonight, couldn't we really shore up the gospel if we could get some celebrity endorsements? I mean, a champion athlete or a famous actress or a best-selling author, if they would just talk about how Jesus has helped them make a success of themselves and what an impact that would have in the saving of souls, the words of the rich man in hell fall right in line with that attitude. The Lord's recorded attitude and philosophy of relevance is this. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man's response sounds so reasonable to us. In the current religious climate, the rich man's response sounds so reasonable. No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they would believe and change their hearts and lives. What we need is just something a little more sensational, a little more dramatic and startling to make them see how pertinent the Bible is to their lives and their eternal destinies. And then God gave his final word on the subject of relevance. He said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What does that teach us tonight? It teaches there is nothing more pertinent, nothing more relevant to the human condition and to the world of lost men than the Bible. Nothing is more relevant. And if they refuse to heed the Scripture, then nothing else is going to cause them to be savingly repentant. It is the only thing that will get the job done. By the way, just a footnote, and this is a side issue for me for the evening, but I want you to notice in a day when in Christian theology and in Christian ministry, there are many who try to say that men can believe unto salvation without ever repenting. In a day when there are high-profile and well-known preachers who refuse even to mention repentance from the pulpit as if it is irrelevant to the gospel and need never be spoken, did you notice in this text, salvation is spoken of as repentance? 
Those terms are used interchangeably. The Bible says God is not slack concerning His promise, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that which works repentance into men is the piercing relevance of the Word of God exposing me to myself, laying bare to the hearts of men our inexcusable obstinacy against our Maker, our sin against our God. Hebrews 4 says, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the point that it flays open the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This text reflects the philosophical attitude that ought to mark every believer and every gospel minister. The written word of God doesn't have to be made relevant to the hearers. It is already the most pertinent, relevant thing imaginable because it is the tool by which God exposes us to ourselves in ways that nothing else can do, and it makes repentance and salvation then a real possibility. Thirdly and finally this, the power of Scripture. The priority... That has to do with our methodology, the pertinence. That has to do with philosophy. Now, the power of Scripture. This is about theology, right doctrine, correct spiritual thinking. The power of Scripture in this text is represented by the fact that inherent in the reading and the preaching of the Bible is all of the power necessary to turn men from sin and self and bring them to the Savior. Everything that's necessary is in the book. Now, this is the left-wing liberal accusation against fundamentalists like me. You guys are biblio-idolaters. That's what they say of us. You worship the Bible more than you worship God. Well, I don't worship the Bible, but I'll tell you I do exalt and respect the Bible as God's self-revelation and as God's appointed means, His one and only appointed means to reveal truth to men to the point that they can believe and be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Nothing else can. Jesus prayed for us in the high priestly prayer, the great Lord's Prayer. We call the Lord's Prayer the wrong. We put that title on the wrong passage of Scripture. The real Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter 17. That's the prayer the Lord prayed. He interceded for His disciples, for us, he said, sanctify them with the truth. And then in case anybody was confused, he said, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. God has chosen, beloved, listen, this passage of Scripture, I'm telling you, is blessed. God, you see, you get, you get bombarded with all this noise and nonsense that says you just can't get up and read a text and preach anymore. You've got to do more than that for crying out loud to have a successful ministry. And I want, I want to tell you, God, according to the Scripture itself, God has chosen to invest His supernatural power into the words of this book. He has chosen to invest His spiritual life into the reading and the preaching of the Scripture. Now, this is not man's choice, nor does it make sense to men. Most men, even inside the church world of our day, would readily endorse the rich man's opinion. And the rich man inhales suggestion that there's a better way to bring lost people to salvation. But the Scripture says in James chapter 1 and verse 18, of his own will he begat us with the word of truth. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, 
but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is the word. The Lord Jesus uses in Scripture the image of seed. The sowing of seed, the preaching of the word, he, he speaks of the sowing of seed. Seed is a remarkable and a miraculous thing. Inherent in that seed, that tiny grain, is all of the power of life. Now, certainly it requires the proper soil for it to be able to root and grow. Jesus speaks of that in the Gospels. He speaks of the various kinds of soil. But the soil doesn't produce the growth. The soil receives the growth. The seed has inside itself the mysterious power of life hidden away inside that seemingly insignificant and unimpressive husk is the genetic miracle of life with a capital L. James chapter 1 says of the Word of God, it is able to save your souls. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Yes, yes, preacher, I know all that, but you just can't afford to be so narrow-minded and old-fashioned in this day. We've just got to modernize our methods. We've got to rethink our philosophies. If we're going to reach people in this day and time, we cannot afford to be so limited in our methodology in a culture that is used to spectacular and dramatic sights and sounds. People who are accustomed to being entertained by exciting and dazzling displays who are used to pageantry and theatrical experiences, they're never going to be reached by something as humdrum and ordinary as hearing the reading of the Bible and the preaching of it. Well, you're welcome to your opinion, but here's God's opinion. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Theologically, what that means for us is this. The power to convert men is in the Word of God, the Bible. And nothing else will get the job done. You may get people to commit to an organization. You may elicit some kind of, quote, decision and response by hook or by crook. You may even get someone involved in the activities of the religious world by means of some kind of entertainment. But lost men do not come to repentance and saving faith by any means other than the hearing of the word of the Lord. We cannot trick men into being born again. We cannot manipulate them slyly into salvation. We cannot use psychological sleight of hand to get them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The straightforward preaching of what is written in this book is the one and only thing that brings about repentance. This is what sovereign God has decreed from eternity for the salvation of sinners. He's chosen to write down in a book the eternal truth that is needed for men to repent and be saved. He has preserved that book down through the centuries in spite of every attempt of men and devils to destroy it. He has called men, just men, not angels or archangels, just men. He has called men to stand and read from that ancient book and to preach to anyone who will listen what the text means for them and what they ought to do about it. And those who hear and respond in repentant faith 
pass from death unto life. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You can sing with the wisdom tonight, I'm going to live forever. One of the great mysteries to me is why folks who believe in eternal security aren't shouters. I've never understood it, and I guess I never will. You have a bunch of shouting groups out there. You have some denominations that are known for their shouting. Most of them believe you can lose your salvation tomorrow if you don't watch yourself. They don't have any promise of eternal life. It's conditional life based on their performance. And they're hooping it up. And we sit like a wooden Indian, like we don't have any gumption. And we believe once we got born again, we can't ever be unborn again. We're going to live forever. And we act like we can't grunt for Jesus. Is that a mystery to you? Past, past from death unto life. Why? Because I heard the word of the Lord and I responded to it. That's how God saves souls. The joy tonight of having access to this old book. Thank God he's given us Moses and the prophets. And of course that speaks for the rest of the word of God as well. God's appointed means, not only for salvation, but for revival and everything else that is spiritual and eternal in nature. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I couldn't close this message without saying one thing. I want to make sure you know, because I don't want you to get a wrong impression. I know that the word of God, unanointed, is powerless to change lives. God has designed that the word of the Lord be anointed by the spirit of the Lord. It's not just dead letter that saves men. It's the letter of the Word of God anointed with the oil of the Holy Ghost. So we need to be asking God for power, for anointing on His Word. But my friend, it is the Word that the Holy Ghost uses to save souls. And apart from the Word of God, there's no hope for men. That's why it disturbs me in a generation we're living in. We're producing religious converts by the droves, but we're making them two times more the child of hell than they were before because they've never heard the gospel enough even to believe and be saved. Father, in the name of Jesus tonight, I pray if you would take this simple message and this passage of Scripture, Lord, that I know has been used in a million ways by preachers through the days, but I see in this passage a tremendous teaching. 